Again to the Bad Quaker Podcast, where liberty is our mission. Today is Wednesday, October 9th, 2013. This is podcast number 353, and my name is Ben Stone. Uh, be sure and get over to, uh, to Bitcoin, not bombs, and help out with the Hoodie for the Homeless uh, program. It, there's still time to help out. You can get over there, and you can donate Bitcoins directly. You can buy a T-shirt, and that'll help pay for the price of a hood, uh, for a hoodie for the homeless. Uh, or you can, uh, well, I'm not sure. The, um, the Bitcoin starter campaign may be over by now. I'm not sure if that's still going or not, but you can still give at Bitcoin, not bombs, or you can buy a t-shirt and you get a cool t-shirt. Plus you help out the homeless with a, uh, with a free hoodie and it gets the, um, gets the logo out. It gets the message out about Bitcoin and it's just a good thing all the way, all the way around. Also, uh, interesting things coming up. If you go over to badquaker.com and you go to yesterday to Tuesday's uh, post that I put up, there's uh, some information there to uh, about a uh, an activity that's going to be taking place in Washington D.C. on November 5th of 2013, and it's going to be uh, hacktivists and anonymous supporters are going to be out there, you know, wearing their Guy Fox masks and they have all kinds of list of different causes that they're supporting and everything. Now, I'm not necessarily saying we should get out there and support all of hacktivists and anonymous's causes, but if you go over to badquaker.com and you look at the at the notes that I put up for yesterday uh about this, um, and if you click on the link to Davi Barker's article over at the Daily Anarchist and read that article, I think it's a really good idea. If you're anywhere in the D.C. area, uh, it's a really good idea uh, of a way to sort of get our message out to people who might be receptive to our message. And by that, I don't mean government. I don't mean the people in Washington, D.C. that run, you know, the, the, all the, the parks or the, the, you know, the buildings or whatever. None of those people, that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about all those hacktivists, all those anonymous supporters. We have a lot in common with them. And this might be a really good opportunity to get out there, sell T-shirts, sell buttons, sell bumper stickers, sell hats, sell whatever, sell raw milk, sell anything that you can to those uh, uh, hacktivists and anonymous supporters. And in the in the meantime, talk to them, maybe get some video talking to them, interview them, let them express their opinions, let them talk about whatever is important to them, but also uh, use these opportunities to get our message to them. Because we need them on our side, and a lot of them, you know, are are really close to being to to grasping these concepts of liberty that we, uh, you know, that w- that we work on so much, and um, and it's really important. I, you know, better than I can explain it here. Get over to uh, badquaker.com and look for that article from Tuesday of this week, 
and follow the link over to Daily Anarchist and read uh, Davi Barker's uh, just brilliant idea and uh, and see if it's something, you know, if you're in the, the Washington, D.C. area or if you're within a short drive of it. And if you have the, the, the means or the equipment or whatever to get down there and maybe make a dollar or two off of it, uh, that's, you know, that's pretty important. Um, and you know, maybe at the same time spread the message of liberty at the same time with people who are already, uh, you know, a long way, uh, into understanding how important these things are. Okay. Um, so. Uh, that's my commercial for today. Uh, today's podcast is gonna sort of be, I don't want to make it a part two, but it's sort of the continuation of the podcast that I did on Monday. You know, I mentioned on Monday's podcast that my notes were probably the most disjointed and, and least organized of any notes that I'd ever made for a podcast. And, uh, when I got to the end of the podcast, I think I mentioned that, uh, I was only about halfway through my notes. And, you know, there was just so much that had happened in the last week or so, and so much was going on over the weekend that, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, just kind of went nuts with my notes and just throwing things out there and just putting stuff in and more and more and more. And, um, I finally had to just tear myself away from writing notes and force myself to actually record the podcast, which is one reason why it was so late getting out on Monday, among other things. So today I want to revisit that same topic just a little bit and, uh, and, and just maybe take that a little further. Like I say, I'm not going to necessarily make this a part two, but I am going to talk about the mainstream media hype, about the lies, about the distractions that they use and how they manipulate, you know, the thinking of not only Americans. I, I think I said in the last podcast, I think I said 300 million Americans are manipulated by them, but not just the Americans. You know, the, 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 the reach of the American media goes around the world. And when you consider that the BBC is pretty much the same thing, they're just, it's just a talking tool of the government. That's all the BBC is. And you look at other, uh, other media outlets around the world. And they be, they may be more or less, you know, outlets of the, of government propaganda, but, but mostly, mostly if they're mainstream media, mostly they are nothing more than, uh, mouthpieces for the governments. So, um, so I want to throw that formula back out for you again. And this is not, you know, this is not really refined. It's not perfect. It's just something I threw together on Monday, but it's fairly accurate. Um, you can see, and these patterns may not exactly fit uh, um, my, the formula that I spell out here. There may be variations with each one, but ultimately this formula is what they're shooting for with every single major story that the mainstream media pushes at us. So we have uh, the formula here is the developing emergency. No one knows what's going on. Something's happening. Now, right now, at that very first moment, it's it's sort of a free market in lying. Uh, the media, the pundits of the different kinds, they can just say anything. Because they can always retract it later. So they'll say the most extreme things that they can think of. They'll say the most bizarre things. Because right now, in the very opening critical moments of the emergency, this is the time when they want to overplay it and get as much attention and as much hype and as much fear and as much, uh, uh, you know, as much anticipation as possible for the fullness of the story. So they'll say almost anything at that point. 
and then uh, then you you have the wild speculations that come in and the hints the hints at what you're supposed to believe and the hints at what they'd like for you to think about so i think i i use the the explanation you know um in the last episode i said all right right now whatever you do don't think of an elephant well it it could be the same thing with a skunk whatever you do don't think of a skunk do not think of a skunk don't do it well of course it's impossible not to think of a skunk. So when the event is happening and they throw out something like, we're certain this is not a terrorist event, what that throws into your mind right away is, hey, this might be a terrorist event. Or we're certain that there's only one gunman. That means there might be more than one. Or we're certain that this is the case. Or we're, well, we're, we're positive at this point that there's no alcohol involved or or we don't think that there's any alcohol involved or it doesn't appear to be alcohol involved what that means is there might be alcohol involved and you see this all the time with local news you know they'll throw out there's uh my wife and I joke around that the in the morning news uh, morning local news always has a wreck of the day they every they every single morning the local news has to start with the wreck of the day they have to have these these standard things that they show with the camera really up close to a broken to a dented fender or a broken tail light and then the camera showing really up close to some part of the police car and then a far away shot with the flashing red light going over and over and over or the flashing blue and red light uh you can't see anything you just have that strobe light effect taking place uh, you know blurring the camera and uh, and every morning every morning the news has to have their accident of the day their tragedy of the day and uh, and very often they'll say well at this time there's no indication that there's alcohol involved what does that do that throws it in your mind immediately the possibility that alcohol is involved. Um, so that's what they do. You know, they 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 throw those little hints in there for you to. Uh, it, it's a subliminal thing for you for to stick in your mind and and make you think about it whether you want to or not. And so then the story begins to develop, and uh, and and again it will support the standard storyline that eventually they're going to want to sell you. But they'll always leave out critical details, critical facts that you need to know to come to a full conclusion. They'll leave those things out. They'll just pass right by them like they're not even important. And then there will be contradictions in reporting. You see this with the big stories. The little ones like the, you know, the morning accident of the day is not necessary. The, you know, that's not part of the storyline. But in these big events, you always have the contradicting reports from various authorities and they'll pull in these different authorities and this guy will say, well, it's definitely this. And then the next expert will say the exact opposite of that. Well, that's all part of the brainwashing process that they're doing. And all the while, they're laying the groundwork for the lies and the distortions that will eventually be the finished product, the finished story, uh, the storyline that they're going to sell in the in the end of all of this. And so you have the more uh, you have more wild speculations and then you hint you have hints at the acceptable storyline. But again, there's the omissions. There's all the things they're not telling you. And then they begin the denunciation of the errors and the rumors. Oh, early on, it was reported this, but, and, and well, we had early reports of that, but, and, and then they'll start, um, they'll start denunciating, denouncing, denouncing, um, all their earlier errors. And while they're doing that, while they're denouncing those errors, They'll carefully slip some of those rumors and errors 
right back in again for you to think about. And then, uh, then the experts, once all this is passed, then the experts come back and they begin to speculate and they, and they discuss it over and over and over until you don't want to hear any more about it. And once the public becomes completely disinterested because these talking heads have talked about it and talked about it and talked about it, once they've done all of that, then the final fake storyline comes out, and that's the accepted f- fact, and no one is allowed to question it. It's beyond question. There it is. Who, who would who would question this? Are they crazy? They must be crazy. Are they conspiracy theorists? They must be. If they question what we all know, we we all remember what happened. Uh, how can they? How can they possibly? question this solid story that we now all accept they must be crazy or they must be uninformed or they must be you know some kind of wacko or some anti-government person right and so um and so the fake storyline becomes history and again you know i mentioned that this is exactly the way the media has done through time whether we're talking about uh, like I talked about the other day with the War of 1812 or other wars, you know, the Vietnam War, the reasons and the excuses they used to get into all these different things. It goes all the way back, you know, uh, even if we're talking about, um, you know, in Roman days, the way the way that they would constantly constantly use uh, Hannibal from uh, Carthage, Carthen, Carthagin. Yeah, anyway, they would use Hannibal, uh, as a fear tactic, uh, to throw up at the Roman people. Boy, yeah, you don't watch out or else we'll have Hannibal back here again. When they finally caught Hannibal, you know, he, he was a general and he had fought the Romans and then, and then he failed. And then he escaped and I believe he was like in Turkey or somewhere far away, living way away from all the excitement, had hidden away, spent most of his life in exile and they finally found him and killed him. And reportedly, one of his last things that he said was, well, uh, finally, Rome can sleep at night. They don't have Hannibal to worry about because the Roman government had used Hannibal as an excuse for so long. Um, now, and last week, uh, you know, we had and I talked about this on Monday, we had the, the biker mayhem, biker gangs roaming the streets, attacking families, crazed mom uh, crashing her car into the White House gates, uh, takes the baby with her on a wild chase. We have the crazed armed veterans with um, this is going back a little further, but crazed armed veterans with their AR-15 assault shotgun of doom attacking workers at the Washington Naval Yard or we have um, you know all the uh, the armed attacks on schools attacks on the movie goers attacks on shopping malls no one is safe no one can be trusted uh, uh children who play with toy guns are a threat to society you see the the media is creating this uh this storyline and is selling it on the American people continually every time there's a tragedy or every time there's not a tragedy, whenever they have to make up a tragedy. It's always the same storyline. It's always creating more and more fear. And at one time, you know, going back to Hannibal or whatever, uh, at one time, all this fear was for the purpose of controlling the public, and they would use that fear of foreigners, fear of, of the, the, those, those evil people on the other side of the sea, or those evil people on the other side of the mountain, or those evil foreigners who are threatening our borders. 
or a favorite in Rome, you know, those evil Christians that are threatening our way of life, you know, uh, threatening our traditions and our, our religious beliefs and everything. Um, and it didn't really matter who was demonized. It's not the point. The point is not whether we're demonizing some foreigner or some, some local guy who just lives a different life or believes a different set of beliefs or doesn't matter who is being demonized. The fear is the absolute necessary component that the media, um, that the media uses to keep people constantly feeling like they need government. They need Big Brother to protect them. They need, uh, all these authorities and all these laws and all these, they need all that because if they don't have it, then who knows what will happen. The media has has drawn this horrible, scary picture for them. And so if they don't have these things, then what is their life going to be like? They're going to they're gonna live in total mayhem. They're going to be robbed by, by crazed bikers. And, you know, uh, uh, who knows? People driving down the street might be just like that crazy mom. She might just turn right into their driveway and run over their children. Who knows? Because people can't be trusted. We've been taught that by the media. People are wild and crazy and they're scary. And so we need government. We need cops on every corner. We need them in Bearcat, uh, armed personnel vehicles, you know, patrolling the streets to make sure we're safe. We need that because we have to stay in fear constantly of everyone. And that's what the media wants. That's how the state controls us. Now, uh, I have a little bit of a rant here. Uh, in reference to how in America the media controls the right-wing leaning people and it controls the left-wing leaning people and really it uses the same tactic. It's just, uh, there's just some interchangeable names and faces. So for instance, with the right-wing, uh, right-wing people, the media has a tendency to hype things like, ooh, the scary Muslims are coming after us or, oh, those immigrants, they're going to come in here and ruin everything. Thing. Um, and this is mostly a, with the right wing. It's mostly a fear of dark skinned people. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. It is. Um, they're the greatest threat to America and the liberals are behind it. You see, the media loves to divide. They they love to have that contrast between Fox and CNN. They love to have that that right and left thing so that they can approach the two different types of thinking and instill fear into both sides at the same time and cause those two sides to constantly distrust each other, you see. So, you know, so it's the liberals' fault. It's all the liberals' fault. It's They're too soft on the Muslims and the immigrants and the brown people and all that. Ooh, that's scary. Uh, so, so, the, so there's this hate developed towards the liberals. And then, uh, and of course, you have to fear if you're, if you're part of this right wing and you're accepting all of this uh, nonsense that's being given to you by your media. Then you have to accept that, you know, and the inner cities are filled with these scary people and these scary people are going to cross the border and ruin your life. And, uh, and those scary people who can't speak English or can't speak English very well, ooh, we can't trust them. We can't, we can't have them in our neighborhoods. This is why we need more police. This is why we need more laws. This is why we need to make barriers and why we need more patrols and why we need giant fences to block the borders because, ooh, those scary people that are so much different than us, they're going to come and destroy our way of life. And this is all based on media, hype, and unnecessary fear, and absolute ignorance. And that's what it's based on. And then the left wing is just as bad, if not worse. 
In many ways, I think the left wing are worse. They still accept all the hype of the media. Um, think about, you know, I, I said that about the uh, right wing people, that they tend to fear people of color. But think about the left wing people. You know, I told that story about San Francisco in the last uh, podcast. I told the story about how the city in San Francisco is cracking down on these gangs of wild chess players. Old, mostly old black men who sit in parks and spend the afternoon playing chess with each other. This is such a threat in San Francisco that the city council, or whatever they call themselves out there, they uh, they have to crack down on it. They have to send cops, send goon pig cops, to knock over their tables and take their, uh, their chess-related paraphernalia. Because why? Because... Because those evil dark people might be gambling and we can't let that happen. We all know how they get out of control when they start behaving that way. You see, that's the leftist mentality. That's the leftist elite mentality. They, they, they fear, uh, what these dark people might do if they're just allowed to have fun and do things like that. They fear that because they hate but they they do it quietly. They do it in a closet. They have a kind of a hate for 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 uh, uh, people of color that oftentimes right wing people will will wear that on their sleeve. They'll come right out and admit their uh, distrust or their hate for people of color. But you don't see that in the left. You see a much more hideous way. You see a hidden way that they that they that they hide their racism and they hide their their uh, they don't use the terminology and the and the bad words and they don't say it that way, but their deeds are worse. The way that they the way that the left um uh uh assumes that people of color can't live their own life, assumes that they have to be, um, you know, mothered over, that they can't just be allowed to, you know, go enjoy a, a, a game of chess. And yes, perhaps maybe even gamble on it. And you know what else? They might even have a drink while they're doing that. And it's None of the leftists' business. But the leftists can't see it that way. They think, oh, they might be drinking something. We can't have that. And and they'll echo that even. It's not just against alcohol. Oh, you might have a sugary drink. We can't have you enjoying a sugary drink. That's bad for you. And only we know what's good for you. So we have to be the ones to tell you what you can and what you can't drink. And the great fear of the liberal people. Oh, oh, but there might be parents out there who are letting their children drink these sugary drinks. Oh, no, that would be terrible. Or there are parents out there who are feeding their children the wrong food, food with evil fat. Oh, no, we can't have that. We have to pass a law and stop that because we can't have parents just pulling into restaurants, buying fatty food and giving it to their children. That Oh, we can't do that because we're the elite. This is the leftist thinking. We're the elite. And we have to tell these poor dumb people what they can and can't eat. You see, because it's, it's our job as the elite. It's our job to take care of these poor dumb children. You see? So we can't allow them, uh, to decide for themselves what they're going to eat or what they're going to drink or what kind of food they're going to have. We can't allow these parents to think that they can teach their children better than schools can, can teach their children. We can't allow that. Uh, we can't have, we can't have parents who think that they can make health choices for their children. 
No, we can't have that because clearly those people are not bright enough. We have to make the decisions for them. That's the leftist thinking. And if you're if you're not sure about what I said about leftists and their their feelings about uh, people of color, just keep in mind that um, it's the uh, it's the leftists who support not only what I was talking about there in San Francisco with the harassing of the elderly black men that that play chess in the parks, but it's also the leftist who support the um, the stop-and-search procedures in New York City, which affect almost entirely African-American males and Hispanic males. That, that's a, a leftist thing from a leftist mayor and a leftist uh, community. You know, New York City is mostly a leftist uh, haven, much like San Francisco. And yet, that's what they do. They, they, will, se- they will single out um, uh, a, a male... Uh, of color and stop him and harass him and search him and question him for no reason other than the fact that he is a male of color. And that's the left for you. They'll hide behind the veil of equality, but, but, uh, but they lie. They're just as bad a racist as the, as the right. And keep in mind also that it was the leftist progressives um, who pushed eugenics in America for the purpose of killing and sterilizing the undesirables in society. And uh, those are, you know, just by chance, those seem to almost always be people of color. Whether we're talking about, um, you know, uh, the Tuskegee experiments or, um, and that's an odd thing too. In at least three states that I know of, Kentucky, Illinois, and Ohio, liberal politicians have pushed through the naming of, of highways, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen National Trail. But who remembers the Tuskegee uh, experiments and the victims of the Tuskegee uh, experiments? Do you see liberals pushing for a, a memorial for the victims of the Tuskegee experiments? And those were almost entirely black men that were used like lab rats for the twisted Nazi-like uh, entertainment of progressive doctors. Uh, where's the highway memorial for the for the victims of these progressives? And and yet, in keeping in mind that all these things are justified by fear. If you go back, uh, even even drug laws, if you go back to drug laws, and this is one thing I'll have to credit the History Channel for. The History Channel did a pretty good, um, I think it was them, it may have been one of the others, it may have been Discovery or somebody, but there was a pretty good uh, show on some time back exposing that almost all the original anti-drug laws in the U.S. came about through uh, through progressives um, using fear of minorities as an excuse to push through the anti-drug laws. And we know also that that's the case with anti-gun laws. Almost all the early gun-grabbing activities were done by leftists, by, by, uh, by progressives, um, with, and sometimes disguised as the right in the case of Ronald Reagan, uh, using fear of race as an excuse for gun grabs and for for anti-gun laws. And we see this over and over, and yet for some reason, the liberals are able to paint themselves in America as being the friend of minorities. It's, It's really bizarre. The truth is that governments survive by keeping people in fear. 
And like I was saying a moment ago, you know, in the past it was fear of the evil people on the other side of the mountain or the fear of the evil people on the other side of the sea. But, uh, you know, more and more with time, it's the fear of evil people that don't speak our language or the evil people whose color, whose skin color is slightly different shade than ours or whose hair is a different texture or a different color than ours. It doesn't matter what the excuse is. It only matters that you remain in a constant state of fear of the people around you. And that is how government controls. Whether it's, whether it's controlling people through massive fear of some foreign invasion or whether it's fear of your neighbor and the desire to have police close by because you've got this imaginary boogeyman in your eyes, in your mind, that you think that all your neighbors are evil and if you don't have a cop on the corner, they'd all come and take all your stuff and, and harm you. And therefore we need those Bearcat armed personnel carriers roaming through the streets pointing battle rifles at your children. Folks, when I come back from this break, there will be more. Stick with me. One caviar sound on a cat food budget? Creamy Radio Audio by the Freedom Fiends has great free tips so you can sound like a pro without spending like one. The most powerful form of human communication is one person speaking to another. But if people have to suffer through your sound, they'll change the channel and miss your message. With articles on microphones, preamps, recorders, mastering, recording remotely over the Internet, doing a podcast, even getting a show on actual radio, the Freedom Fiends show you what they use and where to get it. Whether you're a talk show host, voiceover artist, podcaster, evangelist, or just want to record your loved ones for the ages, at Creamy Radio Audio, the Freedom Fiends will help you make the most of your sound. Creamy Radio Audio will help you speak to the world with sound that will make people want to keep listening. Check out CreamyRadioAudio.com. That's CreamyRadioAudio.com. Do you have an Amazon account? If you don't, let me encourage you to set one up. Setting up an account is free and it's easy. Amazon has great prices, and in most cases, you can avoid paying sales tax. Plus, if you're careful and lump your purchases together, you can even get free shipping. And Amazon has almost anything you can think of, plus it's safer and cheaper than driving all over town. When you buy stuff, if you follow the Amazon link at badquaker.com, Amazon will give badquaker.com a tiny portion of the purchase price. It won't cost you any extra, but you will be supporting this podcast. Thank you. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the break. So, like I was saying, it's only through fear that war can be justified. I was saying that in uh, in the last podcast, and I was saying that earlier in this podcast. But it's also only through fear that local government can be justified, state government, county government, and federal government on on as it manifests itself on a local level it's only through fear that we tolerate government of any kind and on any level it's only because we don't know what would be there if we didn't have government we didn't we don't know what what safeties would be in place we don't know who would do this for us who would do that for us who would hold our hand who would guide us through the dark if not for the government and that's fear it's just fear of not knowing what, what's there because we've grown so dependent upon government that we can't imagine life without it. 
It's only through fear that armed personnel carriers, flanked by cops in full combat regalia, are cheered in the streets of America. Think about Watertown, Massachusetts in April of this year, not that long ago. Through careful manipulation of a simple story, the media created a situation where a whole city allowed itself to fall into such a condition of fear that one 19-year-old kid on the run justified the complete militarization of a whole town. Doors were kicked in. Automatic weapons were pointed at children's faces. Innocent men, women, children, elderly, clergy, handicapped, and business people were forced to bow to the barrel of rifles or die. All of this for one unarmed 19-year-old kid. Behold the power of the media. The government could not have done that on its own. The government could have never pulled that off. Had the government tried that without the cooperation, not just cooperation, without the, without all the groundwork being laid by the, by the media and without the media authorizing it step by step, if the government had tried that without the media, the government would have failed. It would have been Lexington and Concord all over again. But they had the media on their side. And so the people of Watertown cowered, waiting for authorization to go running outside and hiding behind bushes while the cops came through and searched their homes, block by block. Russ Baker over at uh, Who, What, Why did a great article on this way back in May of 2013. And I'm going to put a link in today's show notes. It's really worth worth uh, going over and taking a look at this article. He actually did two articles. Uh, if I can remember, I'll put a link to each of them. But I definitely will have a link to uh, to the one article that I'm referring to here. It, uh, it goes through step by step and shows how um, the whole hype about this this initial dead cop, this initial cop that was killed in the very beginning, uh, after the uh, the marathon bomb uh, bombs had taken place, and then after the FBI um, released its images that they wanted everybody to uh, to help them with, um, there was this first cop that was killed. And Russ Baker does a really good job of laying out the facts and showing the distortions that took place and the order that they took place in and how the story twisted and turned in order to maintain a certain narrative to keep people thinking the way that they needed to be thinking to accept what happened to them later. So if you think about this just for a minute, and I'm just going to run through some of the, uh, some of the steps that went through, but again, Russ Baker's uh, article is much better than what I'm going to be able to do here. So, so seriously, uh, hit that link at badquaker.com, follow over to Russ's article and read that. Um, so you think about this. Now, the FBI released this image of two, you know, in quotes, persons of interest wearing backpacks. Don't think about the fact that there were all kinds of people 
at the Boston Marathon wearing backpacks, including some really weird looking, you know, what were later figured out to be private security or, or whatever, whatever they ended up being. And different stories came out about that. But forget about all of that. Remember only that the FBI released images of two persons of interest. And that's who we were supposed to focus on. The FBI was asking the public to help them identify these two persons of interest. And there was different shots of different angles. Ooh, look at them. Ooh, ooh, who are they? What are they up to? Look at them with their backpacks. Now, in retrospect, we know that the FBI knew who they were. We know the FBI knew who they were the whole time, and it had a long relationship with one of the two of them. And we also know that they're, now we know anyway, that their uncle had a long-term relationship with the CIA. Now, we know that now. Of course, that wasn't spoken of in the time. At the time, it was just, who are these shadowy figures? And so the lies start. And then just hours after that took place, all the madness began. Uh, the first reports tell us that the bombers had uh, a shootout with a cop on the college campus, and they had killed him, and then they robbed a convenience store, and they hijacked an SUV, and they're driving around Boston shooting at cops and throwing pipe bombs and throwing pressure cooker bombs out onto the streets, and as it turned out, that's pretty much all lies. Pretty much all of the early reports were all lies. There was no, there was no, um, there was no SUV. I'm sorry. There was no convenience store robbed. Um, the hijacking of the SUV is a highly questionable story. There was no gun battle with the cop. Um, just, you know, pretty much every, there was no pressure cooker bombs being thrown willy nilly in every direction. All that stuff was made up, but it was, it was that initial wave of uh of the story um and and it was and it was that open license to say anything in the beginning of the story so then next we hear that the brothers have another shootout with the cops and another cop is down now a second now we're at a second cop is down and one of the brothers has escaped but one one is in custody and they and they get him uh standing up and they and make him strip his clothes off and hold his head hands over his head and then they make him lie on the ground and they come up to him and he's naked there on the ground and they take him into custody and they put him in the car and all the video exists and we see yes They've captured one of the bad guys, but then all of a sudden that story changes really, really fast. That, that story changes and the pictures of the naked brother that we saw where he was alive and unharmed, um, even though they were flying all over the internet, they're instantly gone. And we have a whole new story that the first cop was not killed in a, in a, um, in a, uh, shootout. We're told that the first cop was killed execution style for no good reason whatsoever the mad bombers just went up and killed him and we're told um uh, the naked guy that we saw that we looked at the videos of the naked guy standing there unharmed that didn't happen no uh, that that didn't happen at all the evil terrorist fought all the way to the death and he was fighting the cops to his last breath um either that or maybe his little brother drove over him um, while trying to escape in the SUV. Maybe that's the story. That one was thrown out at the same time frame. And the funny thing is that while that story was being put out to the public, um, the news cameras were still showing the SUV sitting at the, uh, 
at the side of the of the uh, of the gun battle. The SUV was sitting there, even though one of the excuses was that the younger brother had driven over top of the other brother to escape. They like to portray the bad guys as cowards in these situations, and they like to portray the cops as the heroes. So, uh, so we've got another change, and uh, so then we're told that um, that this cop killing crazed Muslim extremist bomber is running amok in the city. Well, something must be done. So, um, uh, with everything that Americans have been taught by the media since 9-11, it becomes acceptable to just blindly obey authority. Cower in your home and wait for the uniformed heroes to come house to house and search your house and tell you if you're okay, if you're safe in there. They'll come, you should hide in your house and they'll come search your house and tell you if it's okay for you to go back in or not. How does that even begin to make sense? And then as everything started to settle down and as the cops gave up on their search and they just couldn't find the 19-year-old kid that uh, that they had been looking for, and after going block by block and house by house and bringing children out at gunpoint and bringing people out at gunpoint and, and you know, looking so much in such a small area, uh, the kid was found. The kid was found literally within a couple of blocks of where he initially ran. From the point of where he, he took off running, not in an SUV, but on foot, and very likely, you know, uh, wounded at that point, he ran a couple of blocks and hid in a boat, and the cops searched so much of Watertown and somehow not the one place that he was, which was only a couple blocks from where he started uh, running to begin with. So then here he is at the boat, and we have another grand shootout with the evil Muslim firing back with his AKAR 15 slash 47 16 assault Glock rifle of doom, right? Right? Yeah. Except, oh, hmm, yeah, he was unarmed, and he didn't fire back. Somehow, somehow we got the, somehow, the media says, somehow we got the story mixed up, didn't we? Oh, that's okay. It's okay to just spew lies. You can always give out disclaimers later. As long as the storyline is supported, the evil, dark Muslim with his wild, crazy eyes and his, and his uh, dangerous beliefs, it's okay. We can, we can withdraw everything later on long as we stick with the with the main story so we're told in his final moments in the final moments of the terrorist um he he writes his confession in his own blood scribbling it in his barbaric arabic scribbling on the side of the boat now never mind the fact that none of that happened never mind the fact that the kid was unarmed never mind the fact that there was no confession scrawled on the boat and never mind the fact that the kid is russian and doesn't speak arabic never mind any of that no matter what the media must maintain the fear level they can say anything it doesn't matter as long as they keep your mind in a state of fear You'll, in your own mind, believing this stuff, you'll make excuses for as to why the media made those mistakes. And you'll go on believing the, the overall narrative that they want you to believe. So now what keeps the Watertown uh, dress rehearsal from repeating itself in every city in America? Well, 
there's there is something that keeps this from happening over and over, and that is the citizen media. That is uh, people like you and me exposing the truth. People with their cell phones, holding up their cell phones, taking pictures of the naked guy on the floor on the ground in front of the cop cars, and then saying to the world, "No, he was alive. Look, this is him." Look at the muscle structure. He's a boxer. Look at him. Look at look. There's no blood. He was fine. Then somehow he shows up at the morgue, cut in half, and riddled with bullets. And somebody at the morgue, some citizen journalist at the morgue, said, "You know what? I can't let this go by." Somebody deep working inside the beast said, "I I can't let this go by. I have to leak this." That's what keeps us in this battle. Even though we're not actually free, but we're moving towards it, and someday we will be. But this is this is the front line of the battle. When people hold up that cell phone and take that picture, and then don't let the cops take their phone away, or pull the the SIM card out and hand the phone to the cops and let the cops do whatever they want, but they've got that SIM card hidden, or take the risk of getting fired by taking that picture in the morgue and getting it out to the public and letting the truth be known. People who are not afraid to tell the truth—that's what—that's what will drive society towards freedom. People like Russ Baker at Who, What, Why. People like James Corbett at the Corbett Report. People like Pete Ayer at Cop Block. You know, I mentioned in the last uh, in the last podcast that Pete had a really good article over there at Cop Block in reference to this. Um, you know, the woman who were told. Was this crazed mother, uh, who, who, you know, was trying to ram her car into the White House or whatever and all that is a bunch of lies. And Pete had a really good article there at Cop Block. Um, you know, people at the National Mall saying, wait a minute, when that guy set himself on fire, the story is, is not the same as what I saw. The story that the media is saying is not the same as what I saw. And so witnesses are coming forward and saying, you know, I saw a guy filming um, the, the guy before he set himself on fire. Uh, or, you know, and his name, by the way, is John Const- Constantino. And we've got this neighbor, Joe Horton, Horner, Horner. Yeah, Joe Horner, who's coming out and saying, look, this guy was angry at the government. He was not insane. I know him. I talked to him. He was not crazy, but he was very angry with the government, and he had concerns about the future of America. And that tells you, you know what? When they tell us that he's just some guy with mental problems, when they tell us that he's, you know, that he just has mental issues, well, maybe he did, uh, you know, I can't imagine where it would take you in your mind, uh, what kind of a place you'd have to be at in your mind in order to pour gasoline on yourself and set yourself on fire. I can't, I can't, I can't put myself in that train of thought where I can imagine what the brain, what kind of torturous things are going on in your mind to do that. Um, but when the neighbor can stand up and say, you know, he wasn't crazy. He was very concerned about America. He was very upset with the government. And yet, 
what does the news media say? They say, oh no, there was no political reason. There was no, there was nothing political about it. And the family of John Const- Constantino, um, you know, they're in a tremendous amount of pain and they just want all this to go away. And so the family attorney says, oh no, you know, no, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, let's, let's, uh, let's just let this go by. Let's let the family heal. We don't, we don't want a lot of attention. There's no politics involved. Well, of course that's what he's saying because the family is in a tremendous amount of pain and they want it to all go away. And so the media is going to comply. The media, uh, because the John Constantino story doesn't fit the acceptable narrative, the media will allow the story to go away. There won't be a lot of follow-up on this. John Constantino set himself on fire and he burned to death on Friday, October 4th, 2013. Here's a question. By Monday, October 7th of 2013, the mainstream media were repeating the statement, quote, he was so badly burned, cops needed DNA and dental records to identify him, end quote. So DNA and dental records were confirmed in less than one business day. That's what we're led to believe here. If we believe this statement by that came out with pretty much all of the mainstream media have this word for word, this this line in their stories that he was so badly burned, cops needed DNA and dental records to identify him. If that's true, he set himself on fire on Friday afternoon and by mid by mid Monday, they were already proclaiming that in every article. And if that's true, then here's my question. Why did it take the coroner in L.A. almost a month to identify Michael Hastings? And uh, and from Michael Hastings' death on June 18th, it took until June, it took until August 16th to release a toxology report that should have taken a few hours. Why is it that when somebody sets themselves on fire on the National Mall, uh, in less than one business day, we can have DNA results. And we had to wait that long with Michael Hastings. Why would that be? What's wrong with this narrative? Are we just trying to shut one of them up? Are we trying to ignore the other, hoping it'll go away? Why, why would there be a description, a, a description, description? Hmm. Yeah, well, you know the word I'm looking for. Okay, now. Uh, like I said, one of the witnesses with John Constantino said that he took the time to set up a tripod and a camera and he spoke to the camera before he did the act. And a different witness said that it was a second man who set up the camera and filmed it and then walked away before the police. When the police started showing up, the guy grabbed the stuff and, and walked away. So this is two different witnesses. And it's not unusual for witnesses to, to contradict each other. I remember in Reno in the mid-1990s, uh, mid I was in a particularly horrific car crash. And there were, I think, like, I'd have to think about it a little bit, but there were something like five or seven cars, something like that, involved. Really horrific crash. And there was a guy who was walking his dog and was standing at the corner at the intersection, standing there waiting for the crosswalk light to turn when the accident took place. And I spoke with him probably about two months after the accident. And he didn't know that I was involved in the accident, but I was talking to him. Reno is not a big town and it's not hard to uh, <laughs> to bump into people. But anyway, um, so I'm talking to him and he was telling me about he how he witnessed this horrific crash. 
and he got almost every detail wrong, uh, even though he was standing there watching it. So it's not unusual for witnesses to come up with contradictory stories. But for two different witnesses to say that there was a tripod and a camera and that there was uh, something like this going on, and then for the police, just to discount it, just like, no, 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 there's no record of, no, no, we didn't know, there's no signs, there's no, we don't know why he did this. It's He's just mentally ill. That's it. That's just the story. He's just mentally ill. Well, as this story unfolds, I'm reminded of June 15th in 2011 when Tom Ball committed self-immolation on the front steps of the Keene Courthouse in Keene, New Hampshire. I'm reminded of the fact that almost immediately the police destroyed the um, the security camera recordings that recorded Tom Ball uh, walking up to the to the courthouse steps, pouring gasoline on himself and lighting himself on fire. They, they immediately destroyed the tapes of this. They immediately began downplaying it. This, the police immediately went out, scrubbed the sidewalk, repainted, and did everything they could to hide the fact that this happened. And there was almost no media coverage. I remember Ian Freeman and I remember a couple other people, myself included, that did all that we could do, all that was in our, our, uh, capabilities at the time to try to get media attention to what happened with Tom Ball. And I remember almost deafening silence on the part of the media. Tom Ball was driven to the point of insanity, driven to the point of taking his own life. He was driven there by the keen court and by the way they destroyed his family and the way they destroyed his life. And yet the media just chose to look the other way. And a few small outlets uh, mentioned it in passing. And I think it might have got a little bit of attention with somebody like Alex Jones or somebody like the Drudge Report. But essentially, it was just swept under the rug. And Tom Ball's horrible, horrible death just vanished like it didn't happen. And that's what the media wants to happen with John Constantino. They don't want to know the truth about it. So the narrative continues. We're told what we want, what they want us to believe. We're told it in a way that we don't really stop and think about it. We're told it in, in such a fashion that, uh, that it almost makes us look goofy if we question the standard, uh, the standard storyline. It's very much like this situation that I mentioned just in passing about this, uh, you know, this evil, evil terrorist that was captured over the weekend. And, um, you know, we're not told the sideline of the story, the fact that he was arrested in England in, uh, 1999. We're not told that. We're not told that they had no evidence to hold him in 1999. And, you know, then they come back on this and they say, well, that's because he's a computer genius and he had wiped all his hard drives. And so they didn't have any evidence because they couldn't get evidence off his hard drives. Now you think about this for a minute. If the only evidence they had was on his hard drives, then they had no evidence to begin with. They were simply fishing 
How many people could they pull over? How many people could they stop on the road? How many people could they rush into your house and just start rummaging through things until they find something that you've done wrong? Well, is that what they were doing with him? If they didn't have any evidence other than what he may have had on his hard drives, then they had no evidence. But why did they arrest him in 1999? And then why did they turn him loose? And then why did they arrest him again? And then why did they turn him loose? And why was he arrested again and then turned loose? And then why was he arrested again and turned loose? Why why, why is this? Why is it that if he's such a horrible criminal, international man of mystery wanted throughout the world for his horrible deeds, why was he walking around in the open day to day just living a life, delivering pizzas and things like this? Why was he doing that and not hiding? Why was he in the open, driving a car, going, you know, to the mosque for prayer, coming back home, living an open life, if he had any fear that he really was some horrible wanted terrorist? Why wasn't he in hiding? And then, you know, we see that now that he's been picked up, and now the argument is, oh, should we torture him on the boat, or should we take him to Guantanamo to torture him, or should we turn him over to the Libyans for them to torture, or should we bring him to New York and put him under trial and maybe try to get something out of him there? And the whole time, very few people are looking at the at the fact that his arrest is being used to fog the fact that uh, the SEAL team utterly failed in their attack on a Somalian village to try to arrest some other guy that we're told is horrible and evil and a terrorist. And some of the some of the you know some of the fringe media is showing uh, is bringing out details that show that this this horrible terrorist that is arrested and and you know instead of arguing about where we should torture him should they bring him here should they put him there should they instead of arguing about that maybe look over at Somalia and say what happened what are you trying to cover for why are you trying to draw our attention to Libya when uh, something happened in Somalia on the other side of, a, of the continent and the SEAL team failed so utterly and then we're told things like, oh, well, they were going in and they were being successful and then they saw children and we can't have them killing children. So they had to back out and, and, and back away from the fight. Really? The SEAL team was afraid of killing children, so they backed out. Well, that's funny because that didn't stop anybody in the Philippines. That didn't stop anybody at Wounded Knee. That didn't stop anybody at Hiroshima or Nagasaki. That certainly didn't stop anybody in Dresden. That didn't stop anybody at Melee, at the Melee Massacre. That didn't stop anybody from sending drones with bombs and killing children all over Afghanistan and Pakistan and Yemen and, and all the other places where this has taken place. Killing children didn't come into it then. Why is it all of a sudden SEALs? are growing uh, morals and deciding that they're not going to go in and get the evil terrorists because there's children there. Since when, uh, since when does that enter into the conversation? Since when are we going to buy that kind of a story? You see, day by day, the legitimacy of the media comes more and more into question. And the more that we see the media struggling for legitimacy, the more that legitimacy fades away. 
and the more the more desperate the media come, becomes to throw out more and more of these wild stories like this, the less legitimate the media appears. Now, you know, there are t-shirts, there are banners, there's graffiti on overpasses that shout the, the, the statement, Google Building 7, Google Building 7. And I'm not a 9-11 truther, but I know the main story that we've been told is not true. I don't, I don't accept every conspiracy theory that's coming or going about 9-11, but I know the mainstream story about 9-11 is not true. What happened? I don't know, but I know we're being lied to. And more and more people are realizing that. The media's song and dance worked in Watertown. But in the aftermath of the story, the whole, the whole story falls apart. The whole narrative falls apart. So what are they going to need to do the next time to make this process work? What are they going to need? How dramatic will they need to make the next event in order to, to convince people to allow a body of military soldiers to go through a town like they did in Watertown and go house to house and to point automatic rifles at the faces of children and watch people as they cower and bow and huddle around outside. What, what is it going to take for the government and for them, for their accomplices in the media? How dramatic will the next event have to be in order to justify this? And when it happens, when it happens, how many of us will see right through it as it's happening? We'll spot the inconsistencies. How many of us will look at that and say, I've been fooled and I've been fooled and I'm not getting fooled this time? It's a slow process, but we're winning. Every time one of these events takes place, it seems like the worst possible. And yet, in the aftermath, as the truth comes out, we're winning and we're going to win. Because we're on the side of truth. It's the maintaining a fanatical grasp on the truth that will bring us victory. Folks, thanks for listening today. And remember to visit badquaker.com where liberty is our mission. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.